0: The first reading is from 1 Samuel, chapter 10, which can be found on page 279 in the Old Testament. Then Samuel took a flask of olive oil and poured it on Saul's head and kissed him, saying, Has not the Lord anointed you ruler over his inheritance, When you leave me today, you will meet two men near Rachel's tomb. At Zelzah, on the border of Benjamin, they will say to you, the donkeys you set out to look for you, to look for, have been found. And now your father has stopped thinking about them and is worried about you. He is asking, what shall I do about my son? Then you will go on from there until you reach the great tree of Tabor. Three men going up to worship God at Bethel will meet you there. One will be carrying three young goats, another three loaves of bread, and another a skin of wine they will greet you and offer you two loaves of bread, which you will accept from them. After that, you will go to Gibeah of God, where there was a Philistine outpost. As you approach the town, you will meet a procession of prophets coming down from the high place with lyres, tambourines, pipes, and harps being played before them, and they will be prophesying. The Spirit of the Lord will come powerfully upon you, and you will prophesy with them, and you will be changed into a different person. Once these signs are fulfilled, do whatever your hand finds to do, for God is with you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Our second reading is in the letter to the Colossians, chapter 3, starting at verse 1, and this can be found on page one. Eight four in the Church Bibles. Colossians chapter 3. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is the word of the Lord.
2: Thank you, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love for us. May it touch our hearts and minds now. May the words of my mouth and the thoughts of all of our hearts be pleasing to you today. Amen. So as I was preparing for this morning, I wondered, do you have a favorite old jumper? Do you? Not a new jumper in the latest season's colours that looks smart and fresh and it's soft and warm, but rather an old favourite, one that you've had for many, many years. Perhaps it lurks at the back of the cupboard or the drawer and you get it out occasionally for a particular reason. I think we all have one somewhere. I brought mine to show you. Here it is. Yes. Look at that. I hear you all saying, that's your favorite jumper? But yes, for those that can't see very well, it's an old university sweatshirt from the days when I was at uni in the south of France. For some reason that I don't actually understand, I still have it. In fact, I brought it for my little brother as a returning home gift. But secretly, I knew that my tall 15-year-old rugby-playing brother would very, very soon grow out of it. Sure enough, he did, and very happily, it came back to me. (laughs) This garment has travelled the world with me. When I wear it, I remember the days when it was fresh and new. I remember the friends I was with and the fun I had. I remember the year I wore it when I was the cook in a summer camp and I wore the week's menu down my front. As it got older and perhaps a little bit less respectable, I remember the surf camps I went on with my children and it kept me warm at night. I can still see the paint marks on the arms from the annual shed painting thing that I always did and always wore it for. White is such a silly colour to choose for such a dirty job, isn't it? But I loved this jumper for those occasions. It felt right. It felt comfortable. You can see now it's threadbare. It's full of holes. Look at these sleeves. Put your fingers right through. It's not even soft and warm anymore. Once, someone kindly offered to bring me a replacement back from their holidays. But you know, I declined because I'm rather attached to this jumper. I didn't want a new one. In truth, I know that it doesn't even look nice. It probably never did, really. It's not even practical in any way. But strangely, in moments of need, I still reach for this jumper. Although I don't think I've actually worn it since coming to Bath, it didn't take me long to put my hand right on it in the cupboard. So why on earth Am I sharing the dark secrets of my wardrobe with you? Our reading today is from the book of Colossians. Quite a short letter from Paul to a young church, discovering what it's like to believe in Jesus and to follow him. In a lovely word picture, he talks of clothing ourselves, not with tatty old habits that used to be their go-to garments but rather with beautiful new ways of living that reflect Jesus and their newfound relationship with him. We're going to spend a few minutes unpacking that thought. We'll think about what it meant to the people in Colossae when it was written and we'll consider what it means for us today. Colossae was a town in the Roman province of Asia. That's modern-day Turkey. It's about 100 miles east of Ephesus. It wasn't as big or prosperous a place as the neighboring towns, although in its past it had been both. It was at a point where main travel routes crossed and so lots of people came that way and its population was quite varied local phrygians along with jews and greeks place where all roads met they were mostly gentiles of one sort and another and this hodgepodge of people would have been reflected in the new and growing congregation of the church not unlike us in many ways paul himself never actually went there But he wrote this letter sometime in the middle of the first century, from prison. We think that the church was actually founded by Epaphras, probably, whilst Paul was in Ephesus, and you can read about that in Acts if you're interested. We're told later on that this is the fellowship that Philemon and his slave Onesimus belonged to. So, why did Paul write the letter? Well, in part, to encourage the new congregation. He begins by saying how pleased he is to hear of their faith. Also, he's returning Onesimus, the newly converted runaway slave, to his master, Philemon. But most importantly, he's writing to make clear the truth of the gospel, to correct some wrong ideas that had begun to be preached that were threatening to lead members away from the truth. We're not told precisely what those things are except by inference but we do know that syncretism in religion and philosophy prevailed in those days. That's when people take bits from more than one belief system and they kind of mix them together as they like. In other words they would not wholeheartedly adopted Christianity they were still slightly hedging their bets. It's quite natural, really, I suppose, to want to cling to your own ideas and maybe try and incorporate them into this new religion. But with a passion for wholeheartedly following Jesus, Paul sees that it distracts from the fullness of Christ, and he's keen to nip it in the bud. Paul wants us to understand that following the death of Jesus on the cross and his resurrection to glory... We have entered a new age. And as Christians, that's where we belong. We do not need to look to the past for help. We do not need to earn our place in heaven. But we must allow it to be worked out. And he appeals to his readers to choose to live as Christians ought. He describes for us in quite some detail really, the chief characteristics of life in the kingdom so that we might aspire to it. He wants to model ourselves, he wants us to model ourselves on something really special. This week I watched the film The Book Thief. Have you seen that or read the book? It's an excellent story. It's a moving story really of a family's struggle to be true to their conscience in Nazi Germany as the Second World War unleashed itself on the world. One of the little boys in the film, Rudi, was inspired by the athletic achievements of the Olympic athlete Jesse Owens. To everyone's horror, he painted himself black with mud and practiced running at every opportunity. He wanted to be like him in every way, and he was quite unaware of the political sensitivities that were around in the grown-up world at that time. You see, as a little boy who'd been inspired, he just saw a man he admired, and he wanted to be like him. Paul describes a new age that has dawned on humankind like When you get up on a summer morning after a storm, you step out into a clear blue day. The contrast between the old and the new is stark and he wants readers to build their life based on this fresh way of living. He sets out clear guidelines. Now there really is no beating about the bush here, no room for misunderstanding. He lists sins of a sexual nature and sins that have their root in anger. And he says quite clearly, they have no place in the Christian family, in the church family. The Christian life should not have room in it for sexual immorality, impurity, lust or greed. I think we mostly don't have any trouble with that but perhaps more challenging are the slightly more subtle things that follow, because neither should we wrap ourselves up in anger, malice, and bad language. Even if that's the way you grew up and found it normal. I know of a man who was so transformed by the Holy Spirit when he accepted Jesus as Lord that he stopped swearing completely overnight. It was quite a shocking thing for the people who knew him. We shouldn't talk negatively about other people. That's a challenge, isn't it? And we certainly shouldn't lie, not even white lies. We are to take off these behaviours and cast them away like a garment that is no longer fit for purpose. It's not that we won't be tempted with those things, of course not, we're human, we will be tempted, but he urges us to choose a better way for the future. Instead of reaching for that comfortable old jumper that you know is still at the back of the cupboard, even though you know it's not at all attractive anymore, he challenges us to pause and reflect. In its place, he invites us to put on new characteristics that make us more like Jesus. We are to choose to be compassionate and kind, humble, gentle and patient. Most importantly, we are to forgive one another and love one another. When we do this, we'll live together in unity. These things are quite countercultural, as they require you to think more of your neighbour than yourself. They require us to love one another. It's not an easy task. We rely on God's grace to help us daily to live as the new people God has made us to be. And when we live as the people God intended, we are, you know, quite a beautiful bunch. How often have you been to a wedding or some other celebration and heard someone say, oh my, you scrub up well? When the occasion demands it, We do put aside our worn-out, old, working clothes like my jumper and we dress in smart new clothes that suit the occasion. We choose to present our very best face to the world. We cast off the old self with all its bad habits. The new Christ-centered self is revealed in all its beauty when we do that. The ancient world You see just like our modern one was full of attitudes of self-centered prejudice suspicion and arrogance that had so taken root that people barely even noticed it one social group looked down on the next and it in turn despised another your social standing The colour of your skin, your ethnic origin, even the part of town in which you lived were all things that subtly divided people. Before we judge them too harshly, I think we would do well to question whether we're really very much different in 21st century Bath. Paul reminds us in verse 11 that as redeemed believers, Jesus is in all of us. And it is our life in him that unites us. In that one verse, he reminds us that when an elderly person is disrespected, we're disrespecting Jesus. When we ignore a teenager, we ignore our Lord. When we treat a poor person with contempt, it's Jesus that is outcast. When we sneer at someone because they're wealthy or educated. It's Jesus we reject. It is for this reason that we seek to be a home of grace in the heart of our city. It is for this reason that we seek to build our community based on love and acceptance. As you go down to coffee today, do take time to add your name to the patchwork prayer station over there in the corner. You may not have seen it yet, but it asks us to reflect on unity, to add your name to a little piece of paper and stick it on there as a visual representation of who we are as a church community. As you do that, you will notice that we're all very different. And yet we are all beautiful. Actually, none of us is really quite the right shape. God needs to smooth our bumps and deal with our rough edges as he brings us together. But we're drawn together by his peace and a common sense of gratitude to our Lord for his saving love. I read this morning from the APCM booklet in the Warden's Report. Alice says, we're a varied bunch, differing in our ages, backgrounds, and even our opinions, but we are united by something so much more powerful, the love of Christ. How true. We respond to God's self-sacrificial love for us by worshipping him with grateful, thankful hearts. In everything we do, we give thanks to Jesus for what he has done for us. And as we come together in unity today for our APCM, let us do so full of gratitude for all that he has done for us and in us and with us as a church family this year. Let us celebrate the new life that's within our family and rejoice that we have cast off the shabby old clothes that were our habits before we knew Jesus. And that we have been fitted out with splendid new garments of love and grace that celebrate the people we are in our new life with Jesus. May we continue to do all that we do throughout the week, not just on Sunday, but the whole week in Jesus' name. That's why I was thrilled to pray for John as he brings his work life before God. May all say, all we say and all we do every day be worthy of Jesus' name. As we read the APCM booklet and we listen to people's reports, may we do so with grateful, thankful hearts for God's love for us in the past year. As we look to the future, we do so with hope and anticipation of all that God has in store for us in his good plans as we continue to serve him wherever he has placed us. We continue to pray faithfully for the person who he will send us to be the next rector. And we welcome all whom he sends to us here in the meantime with love and godly acceptance.